Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to message number two in what I think is going to be a very, very informative and empowering series called Mercy and Grace, the Power and the Glory of God. You know, we're going to discover some things as we, as we walk through this about experiencing the power and the glory of God that's totally different from really how we perceive it. You know, I was thinking about this yesterday, and I was thinking so many times we ask God for something or to do something in our life, and we have an idea, number one, uh, of what that's going to look like, what that experience is going to be like, and then we also have a predetermined idea of the process whereby that experience is going to come. And so when we're looking for something to happen a certain way, you know, come coming through a certain kind of process or experience, and we're and we're uh, expecting it to manifest in a particular way in our lives. What if we're looking for something that looks very different than than God's determination of it? And I think we talked a little bit about this last week, in that uh, Moses wanted to see the glory of God. And I'll tell you, I, I would just imagine a man like Moses is thinking, I'm going to see power, good Lord. I'm going to see something that is just beyond anything anyone has ever seen. And, uh, and what he was expecting to happen, how he was expecting it to happen, how he thought it was going to affect him, were completely different than everything that God said. So stop and think about it. It's just like the Jews who were looking for a particular Messiah. Now, the Bible presented two concepts of the Messiah, and they were clear as day. There was no misunderstanding them. And, uh, and the first one was that he would come as a suffering uh, uh, servant. And that's where, he, that's where he came. He died for our sins. He paid the price for our sins. Now, what's interesting is the prophecies about him coming as a suffering servant uh, were so detailed at his first coming that these prophecies were fulfilled right to the very day, 173,880 days from the day that uh, Daniel prophesied that he was going to announce himself king. And so, so he came, and so, so they knew he was the Messiah. He worked all the messianic uh, miracles that as far as they were concerned, these would be the only miracles, or, or excuse me, uh, these would be miracles that only the Messiah could do. And so they had no doubt that he was the Messiah, but they didn't expect him to come as the suffering Messiah, because you see, they had one account of him coming as a, as a suffering Savior, and then they had another account as him coming as a ruling and reigning king. And uh, what they did, instead of saying, you know what, I need to look at both of these, I need to understand both of these, instead, they just rejected part of them. They just rejected part of the Bible, or what we would call the Bible. They rejected uh, clear-cut prophecies of God and chose the one that they preferred. Well, 
when you do that, or when I do that, when we do that, when we, when we make a determination of what we want God to do, how we want him to do, what the process is, and then if he does it a different way, we are going to miss the process. Now, many of you know, I spent a, you know, I've been in the ministry almost 50 years and just actually just a, a few weeks, it's going to be 50 years. And 50 years, you know, I was a street minister for several years. And, you know, I prayed for people in the street, laid hands for people in the street. Uh, I, you know, I pastored a church for, I don't know, about between 30 and 35 years. I um, had a fellowship of ministers. We had, we had hundreds of ministers in, in the United States and around the world that we, that we served. And then I did jungle crusades. I saw every single miracle in the Bible. So I am a man who is acquainted with miracles. And I can tell you this, even though I have all of that life experience, there have been many times when I needed something to happen in my life. And the obstruction to it coming to pass in my life wasn't that I had a lack of faith. It wasn't that I didn't believe God. It's that I had an idea in my own heart and mind how it should come. And so many times until I surrendered that idea. You see, God works in your life, not because he sets this thing up to test you and to prove you and see, you know, see what you'll believe for and all that kind of stuff. God sets these things up uh, to work in your life, number one, based on scriptural, uh, but also based on what's going to be most effective for you to believe in your heart, the easiest process for you. And many times what we think would be the process that would work for us to walk right into a miracle is not the process that's really going to work for us. And time after time after time, you're traveling overseas and uh, staying in these jungle places and eating the food that the people ate. I can't even tell you how many times I came home with, uh, you know, parasite infestations with different kinds of sicknesses and fevers. And sometimes I would come back with things that we never could even find out what it was. And so, so I've had to have miracles many times to keep me going. But I got to tell you this, just like Jesus, you know, sometimes Jesus uh, would just give you a word. Sometimes he would tell you to go do something. Sometimes he, he would spit on some mud and make it clay and, you know, stick it in your eye. Jesus did not go through the same process every time he got somebody healed. And I discovered the same way, the same way today. But we have, for in the area of healing, for example, we have one model. We have one concept, and that one concept is based on our background. Now, there was a lady that I knew, and I'll tell you, she was a good woman. She was a godly woman. She was totally, totally committed to God. She uh, had a birth defect, and, and she so desperately wanted to get healed. And my process of teaching people in, my, in our local church was, something like 14 out of the 17 individual healings in the New Testament under Jesus' ministry, it's, the scripture is real clear that it was the faith of the person receiving the miracle that got them healed. It wasn't Jesus' faith. Jesus' faith was to believe who God was. Jesus' faith was to believe in the promises of God. The person who needed a miracle, their faith had to believe that the promise was for them and that they could receive it at that moment. And so I realized that people had to use their own faith to get healed. And if they didn't use their own faith to get healed, they probably weren't going to get healed. But um, 
you know, that, that's not real attractive to a person who has suffered with an affliction their whole life. And so, and so this, this lady, she, she, her and her husband were very happy in our church. And they said, you know, they said our church benefited uh, them and their children more than anything they'd ever done in their Christian life. And they, they just sang my praises. And then, then they told me, but we're, we're going to go somewhere else. And, you know, I didn't fight with them or get mad with, you know, mad with them. It didn't make sense to me, but it's like, okay. Well, so they left our church and what they began to do, they began to, uh, there was a one particular minister who, you know, really promoted a big message of having a special healing to get people, uh, I mean, a special anointing to get people healed and delivered. And so they began to go to every meeting this guy had within driving distance because she had decided in her mind that, you know, that she, that she either didn't believe, couldn't trust, or maybe she didn't believe she could develop the faith in her heart to get healed. Well, you know, that's one of the things that's absolute for everybody is, is you got, you got to operate in your own faith. It can't be what other people have faith for you. So anyhow, you know, she wanted, she wanted to be in a meeting somewhere. She wanted the guy on the platform to get a word of knowledge, call her out, call her down the front, lay hands on her and boom, suddenly there was a healing. Well, I'll tell you, it was heartbreaking as I watched her over the next 20, 25 years, go to these meetings over and over and over and over and come home discouraged every time because, because it didn't happen. So she wanted this to happen a certain way. Never, never happened. Now, when I look at this, you know, when I look, for example, when I look at the idea that there were two pictures of the Messiah in, in the scripture. And we don't have the right to choose one or the other. We have to choose both. And if we can't understand how both of these pieces fit together, then our job, if we're surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus, is to seek God and understand how can he be the suffering Savior? How can he be the reigning king? And, you know, really the Bible would reveal that. The Holy Spirit would help us see it. But many times we just don't want to see it. Now, in, in the book of Acts, really, this is a passage that just moved me so much. I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but Acts 25, the apostle Paul uh, is passing close to a port where the uh, elders and leaders from the, uh, I believe it was from the church of Ephesus could come out and meet him, even though they had to travel, I think, I think about 25 miles to meet him where he was. And so he preaches his last sermon. And so he, so he, he, he says, he says, I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. So this is the last time you're going to see me. He says, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about the whole counsel of God, but first and foremost, in my mind, is every aspect of the, of the Word of God. Now, the Word of God is, in the Greek is called the Logos of God, and the Logos is more than the written Word. The Logos is actually more than, than just the spoken Word. The Logos is the Word of God um, with His logic, His wisdom, His power, His character, all backing up. So, so the Logos is about what supports the Word of God, 
as much as it is about the specific word that is being said. Now, one of the interesting things about the Logos is the fact that um, every word of the Logos depends on and relies on every other word in the scripture uh, for it to actually make sense. In other words, you can't take any passages of scripture or any single word in scripture and lift that out of, from all of the other words in the Bible and make it fully be the truth. It won't fully, it won't be the truth because once you separate it from every other word in the Bible, now you have narrowed it down to seeing it some way that you prefer. Maybe you're seeing it the way uh, your denomination taught it to you. Maybe you're seeing it the way uh, your family has always believed it. Who knows you know, why you're seeing it the way you're seeing it? But one thing for sure, the moment you have, the moment you leave out any part of the Bible and understanding a truth, it is no longer really a truth. It's a half-truth. Now, half-truth is not truth. And this is where people get so uh, uh, deceived is, is because they will find half-truths about something, and they like that. They, they like the version of it they find. They like uh, the explanations that they find and they're, because they don't understand maybe something else uh, in the Scripture. For example, Let's, let's say about persecution. You know, we know that we're delivered from the wrath of God. That's what the scripture says over and over again. So we don't have to worry about God hurting us. We know that God leads us in path of righteousness to protect us. So we have all these scriptures about protection, but at the same time, we have scriptures about the righteous being persecuted for their righteousness. We have scriptures that tell us if we stay on planet earth long enough, that when we come into the beginning of sorrows, um, which precedes the, the tribulation, we know that that Christians are going to be killed for the faith. Well, people will look at, oh, wait a minute, I got these scriptures over here about facing persecution. I got these scriptures over here about God's protection. And it's not just that, that we can't pray it through and figure out how those two fit together to become a, a reality and a truth. It's just that we're afraid of that we can't face this persecution thing over here. And so we find some way to create a doctrine to reject that and go over here and accept the part of it that's all about protection. Well, now we have a half truth because we have, we have taken half of the whole concept of God's protection, what that means, what that looks like, and we have rejected it and we have kept the part that we like. So we have perverted the scriptures. We have we have actually uh, uh, made the scripture say something that it doesn't say because we're not really willing to trust God any longer. You know, back, uh, uh, back uh, oh man, decades ago, back in the, in, in the 80s, I remember reading this passage of scripture, and I'm telling you, I had an explosion of understanding come to me. And, and, and this helped me develop this very concept that I'm sharing with you today. Psalm 140 says, surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name uh, and the upright shall dwell in your presence. Now you couple that with, uh, uh, with other scriptures. I think Psalm 148 or something like that. It talks about the fact that, God, that uh, God's exalted his word and his name above everything else. And so I started realizing, well, wait a minute. 
there is this correlation between the name of God, between the word of God, and what God has exalted. And so I realize that, that you know, if I'm worshiping God, I can't, I can't worship the name of God and reject some part of the word of God, because every name of God is, is connected to the word of God. But anyhow, I, I could go, I'd have to go into a lot. I'm kind of rushing through this, and I apologize. But one of the things that I started realizing is if I went into a meeting and maybe me or someone else preached a powerful message about the faith for healing, it would be amazing that, uh, you know, you'd see people get healed. If I went into a meeting and preached about salvation, you know, getting born again, people would get born again. And I started recognizing that the word that people were, that they were hearing would actually correlate with the results, the things that they were willing to believe for. So, you know, that's why, and I'm not being critical, but if you go to a church that never preaches healing, then the truth is, if you need a physical healing, you're probably, unless you do something in your own life, you're probably, it's never going to happen because you're not in a place that is exalting and magnifying uh, the name of the Lord that has to do with healing. You know, the name of the Lord that has to do with healing is Jehovah Rophi, or some people say Jehovah Rapha. And the truth is, if we reject that name, then we are taking that name, of the, that aspect of the name of the Lord in vain. And so, so people tend to develop faith for that which they have heard or that which they have studied out, that which they have prayed through for themselves. So suddenly, and I remember, man, I remember when this happened, I started realizing this verse, surely the righteous shall give thanks to uh, your name, and the upright shall dwell in your presence. And I started realizing that whatever aspect of the name of God that we are exalting, that, we're, that we are grateful for, that, that we are grateful that this is who God is. We are acknowledging this as uh, who he is and, and his identity. That will be the, the aspect of the presence of God that we will begin to experience. You know, uh, uh, the scripture says uh, in the book of Psalms, it says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. And you know, the word magnify means to make something bigger or louder or, or whatever, maybe better. Well, you can't really make God bigger. You can't change who God is because of how you're worshiping him or how you're acknowledging him. But the one thing you can do is you can magnify some aspect of the character and the nature or the name of God. You know, you know and the peregrinizer, which I tell you, the peregrinizer was, a, was one of my, I think it was my second. A book that I published and uh, back in the 80s, and it created a prayer movement all across America, and now it has gone into all the world, and it is one, one of the most powerful tools for developing a prayer life that, that will build faith in, in your heart. And so uh, one of the things that we have in the prayer organizer is we have the covenant names of God, so you can spend time meditating on connecting to, believing the truth about those names. And we have found that very thing, people who, who are grateful for, not just, you know, the charismatic word of faith moved back in the, 
back in the eighties and the nineties, just said, you know, thank, thank God enough, thank God enough, thank God enough. And eventually whatever it is that you're thanking him for is going to come to pass. We want to bring people into connecting with God uh, at, their, at their place of need. So, but we do not want to get into uh, rejecting aspects of the word of God because we don't understand it. When the Bible talks about what happened with Moses and him experiencing the glory of God and having this manifestation of God, it was, it was incredible because instead of working a miracle or, or you know, blowing up a mountain or whatever, uh, instead, uh, God's goodness passed by Moses. And so Moses, I don't know what he thought he was going to see, but I can tell you this, uh, what he saw was more in line with what he needed to empower him uh, and take him through transformation to be a leader that could lead the children of Israel. But when God's goodness passed by him, uh, and, and he's in uh, Exodus 33:18, uh, God describes his goodness. And I think that's really important because one of the things that I'm seeing now in this humanistic, socialistic world, we have been taught, particularly for the last 50 or 60 years in our education system and in our judicial system, to redefine goodness, to redefine kindness, to redefine words to such a degree that when people read certain words in the Bible, they don't define them the way the Bible does. They define them the way they were taught at school or the way that their, their parents taught them. And so they can be saying the same words uh, as other people, but not having the experience that they want to have. Well, this will cause them to undermine their faith in God because it's like, I'm believing for this to happen. And maybe it is happening but it's not your definition. I mean, it's not God's definition. It's your definition. That's why you're not since You've already decided what you want to look like and what you want to be. So anyhow, just let me run through this real quick, because this is going to get into it. We're going to take a couple of sessions to do this. And by the way, I will be releasing an audio version of this very soon. I wanted to get this out. I felt in my heart I needed to get it out. So whether we had a, a downloadable audio version ready when I started this, which I rarely do this, I thought, no, I've got, I've got to get this. I've got to get this series out. So anyhow, let's go back to Exodus 33. So God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord. So this means that everything that God shows Moses is a revelation, number one, of his goodness. Number two, it is a revelation of God's character, because the name of the Lord is always a name, a title, whatever, that uh, that reveals to us certain aspects of who God really is. And so here's what God says. He says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And, you know, that fits in really with the name that God originally revealed to Moses about the great I am. I am who I am. Uh, I will be who, who, I, you know, who I will be, and I will be who I've always been. And so God doesn't act toward us based on how much we're begging and crying and pleading and praying. Uh, God acts out of his character. That's what sovereignty means. Sovereignty says that basically nobody can alter uh, God's decisions. Nobody can alter 
how God acts or reacts to situations. He acts out of his character and nature. But, you know, we have been taught that if we'll beg hard enough, fast long enough, pray loud enough, you know, whatever, that somehow or another we can convince God to uh, uh, express himself the way we want him to express himself, which is just not true. Anyhow, so he says, so he tells Moses, he said, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here's a place. And, and he tells him that he's going to stand in the rock while his glory passes by. So we roll on down to uh, chapter, let me see, chapter 34. And we, we start seeing something that is just so incredible because it describes the attributes of God uh, and God reveals himself like this. This is why he gives us his name. This is why he tells us his attributes is so we know what we can expect from him. So in verse six of Exodus 34, he says, so the Lord passed before him proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, your God, merciful and gracious, long suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. I'm going to stop right there, even though that's not the end of that passage. Now, one of the problems that we see happen over and over again is that people will come to a passage like this that has all of these incredibly positive attributes of God, but then it will say something that they either don't understand or that they don't like, and they will just decide to reject that part of it. I see people do that with certain books of the Bible. They, they just say, you know what? Uh, I reject that book of the Bible. And, you know, when you ask them why, it just comes down to because uh, that book of the Bible says something about God that or faith that I don't like. And uh, so really, when we do that, we are not really coming to God open and teachable and, and able to, uh, for him to, you know, work in our lives and bring us into this whole new aspect of, of what he has to offer. No, we have limited God to our finite concepts and opinions, which means in truth, we have rejected God. Because if we don't accept the whole counsel of God, if we don't accept the whole image that God presents to us, then the reality of it is we, we really reject God because you can't just decide to accept part of God and reject part of God. So the last part of this verse, uh, and, and verse seven says, after, after he talks about all this stuff about mercy and, and graciousness and long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but by no means clearing the guilty. So in other words, God does not declare the guilty innocent in the sense of just canceling or ignoring their iniquity and their transgressions. And you know, I get it. I understand why people can't sort these types of scriptures out, because when they start talking about God making people accountable, uh, many people do not recognize what the justice of God actually looks like, and they actually pass a criticism and a judgment about God that if he does that, well, he's, he's just too harsh. He's just too mean. So we're going to come back next week, and we're going to come back to this scripture, and we're going to open up something that's going to make every word in this verse click together and understand the character and the nature of God. We're going to see the goodness of God in every aspect of this, and it's going to open up your faith. Listen, I can't wait to talk to you again next week, so you be blessed and see you then. 
Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.